With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Age of Radio. Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Back to normal, back behind the microphone once again. And I say back to normal because you guys don't know it. I was suffering through COVID when I did my last episode. That's right. I could barely breathe. I don't know if you guys could hear it, but it was a struggle for me to do the episode. And it is without a doubt that this was my second bout of COVID. I don't know if you guys remember some of my longer time listeners back in uh, uh, late 2019, early 2020. I, I talked about being really sick and I took myself to the hospital. Well, it turns out that was probably COVID because when I caught COVID again, it um, everything was the exact same thing. Um, it was it wasn't that bad for me. Thankfully, I had one day that was really horrible. But it was really the, it's really been the after effects that have been uh, very surprising for me. So, gosh, what, what do we catch up? For starters, I am back training. I've gotten my vaccine, and I'm back training uh, at a local Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu club, Zicro Academy in Mariana, Florida. That's where I live, and I am five minutes away from the club. So, for all of you stalkers out there, you guys can find that club, and you know I'm a five-minute drive from there. So, I... I uh, hopefully none of you guys start barging down my doors and wanting autographs and all that crap. I know that'll never happen. Yeah, you know, all, all 17 of my fans, right? <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Club. It's ran by a great instructor. This club is really great, and I'm so happy that I found this club because I've never trained at another club other than Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu prior to moving here, and... Like, I've been to many different judo clubs, but I've never switched Brazilian jiu-jitsu clubs. And I hear all of these weird stories. So I wasn't sure what I was going to expect if they were going to do some kind of Maori haka dance before the class starts or, or you know, spank each other in the butts with their belts. Like, I, I got no idea what was going to happen. So, but I end up going to this club. The instructor has been great. Uh, the the people at the club have been fantastic and very welcoming. I got to tell you, though, my God. COVID has really kicked my butt uh, in terms of the post-COVID recovery. I feel like uh, an overweight smoker exercising for the first time in their, in their life. At least that's how I felt a couple of weeks ago. And my, my wind is starting to catch up a little bit. And it wasn't because I took largely a year off from jiu-jitsu and training because that really wasn't the case. I know... I know what a physical decline is in in my 40s. You know, I can definitely feel a decline in in speed and and stamina. Um at, at least uh <laughs> at least respiratory stamina. But for me over the past year the drop off has been huge and I it has to be covid because there's no way. I did stay in shape over the past year. In fact, I've lost about 13 pounds since a year ago. So I've managed to stay fit, but there's no way the drop-off could be this bad if it wasn't for COVID. I, I don't believe that. So I'm getting my butt kicked in, in jiu-jitsu, and that's okay because that's typically how it went <laughs> anyway just a year ago. But um, moving up to Mariana, Florida has been really a great decision. I wasn't sure what it was going to be like when I moved up here. I liked the house when I saw it, and, and we just kind of made a leap of faith. And it turned out that decision was the right one because this town is fantastic. It really is exactly what I was looking for in a town. And I, I love it up here so much that, quite frankly, my next home that I buy will probably be in Mariana. It, it is that nice up here. It's it's just, it's got this, this, this just kind of a, a it's hard to describe. It's this small town charm that I was really hoping for. And... 
everybody's really friendly. I found my pizza place. I found my breakfast place. I found my coffee shop, all local businesses that I'm glad to support. And and just getting to know these people around here, it's really fantastic. I, I, I feel really fortunate and really glad that I made this decision. And when I picked this place, it wasn't because I didn't realize there was a jiu-jitsu, a jiu-jitsu school in town. So it's been really cool. And and the thing is, too, uh, the head instructor actually wants me to start a judo club here. And I, I thought at first when he kind of mentioned it, oh, it'd be nice to have a judo club, you know, out of the out of the school. And I was, you know, I kind of thought that oh, it's just one of those those things that you say, but it'll never actually happen. But then he called me a couple days later. and It's like uh, we we're seriously discussing it. So. It looks like I'm over the next couple of months uh, that I may be starting a judo club, and quite frankly, it's going to be the only judo club within 60 miles of where I live. I know, I know, there's a club in Tallahassee, but that's not really uh, convenient for me to drive out to Tallahassee. And there's no judo in Southern Alabama. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I reached out to what I thought was a club, and I never heard back from them. And Alabama does not have a state judo federation, so. In terms of finding judo clubs, I may be it within a 60-mile radius. I don't know if there's one in Panama City. I don't think there's anything, you know, an hour west of me. So I'm, I've am i got a tall order here because, you know, all these years I've talked about, gosh, it'd be nice if judo did this and judo did that. Well, you know what? Now's my chance where the rubber hits the road and it's time for me to, to kind of put up or shut up, right, you know? So I've had a lot of uh, people from the club, you know, express really what I sounds to be sincere interest in in uh, starting judo with me and, and, and learning from me. So I will definitely take this very seriously. I will definitely bring the adults uh, slowly through this, make make it fun and uh, make it effective and 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 um, something that they can do and, gr- and get some enjoyment out of it because you know, I tell you what, everybody's enthusiastic about judo until they fir- take their first big fall and they're like, oh my God, is this what this is? So, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the mat space, and this isn't a criticism of the club because most jiu-jitsu clubs don't have great mats for judo. It's puzzle mats. So, you know, it's gonna, it'll be interesting to see what I can do in terms of teaching adults uh, with these puzzle mats. But unfortunately, I- I'm going to have to cave in. I'm uh, I'm gonna have to get a crash pad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I've said it for years. I hate crash pads. They don't. I cannot stand working with them. But if I'm gonna run a judo club uh, out of this place, it's I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to cave in. And I'm still deciding. You know, kind of what direction I will go when it comes to a, a governing body and and rank and stuff. I'm definitely gonna go with AAU judo. There's no question about it. Uh, I still would like to have a secondary. Uh, choice in terms of NGB, and I'm not sure if it's going to be USA Judo or or the USJA or the USJF. I don't know. It really depends which one can probably support my small attempt at a club uh, the best. I I just haven't decided yet. Now, in terms of judo related news, um, ladies and gentlemen, I've got breaking news. USA Judo got national exposure by the Associated Press. And let me tell you, I can't remember the last time I've read an article uh, by the Associated Press on Judo. And I don't think that the Associated Press said anything uh, with regards to uh, Judo when Travis Stevens won his silver medal and Kayla Harrison won her gold medal. I I don't even think the Associated Press ran an article about that other than maybe a blurb. So, this is spawning from a topic of discussion that I brought up a couple of episodes ago with a initiative put out by USA Judo called P3. Now, P3 stands for Police Professionals and PAL, and it's it was actually put together by a good friend of mine, Tabrin Lee. He's been on the podcast before, and uh, Mike Verdugo, and USA Judo was very prominent in getting this together. Justin Smith uh, w- was crucial uh, out in Wyoming of, of putting this together. He reached out to me a couple of months ago to try and you know get some exposure to this, and apparently it was a it was a really good success. Actually, I knew it was a big success. I just didn't know the Associated Press was going to do an article about this. So 
Let, well, let me read the article for you guys. So the headline is Gold Medal Project. Judo seeks solutions in police training. Now the article goes, the stakes were clear to the two dozen police officers who two dozen police officers who gathered for a workshop with an ambitious and increasingly urgent mission, recalibrating the way police interact with the public in America. The class took place the same week as jury selection for the trial of De- Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis officer who was convicted Tuesday of second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. No one attending the conference would deny that the profession failed the day Floyd died with Shelvin's knee on his neck. They came to the classes with the idea that judo, the martial art with a deep global history and an imprint at the Olympics, but still shallow roots in the United States, might be able to help fix it. The social contract between police officers and the public is degrading a bit, said Joe Youngworth, trainer at the workshop who built his career doing counterterrorism work with the FBI and now runs a judo academy in North Carolina. All law enforcement officers I know, we feel we need to bring that back in line somehow. That's been a common refrain over the years worth of police shootings and protests, all of which have been underscored by calls for police reform. The judo project is, by any account, an outside-of-the-box idea. Because the sport is known by insiders as the gentle way of martial arts, has little emphasis on striking and considers, and is considered less violent than some of its brethren, some leaders in judo and in policing, saw an opportunity to use the discipline to rethink officer training. Last summer's headlines pushed these courses, which had been in development since 2018, to the top of the priority list. The main concept over the week of classes held at the Wyoming Law Enforcement Academy centered on teaching cops how to engage suspects verbally, then employ physical judo techniques if needed to de-escalate confrontations without using deadly force. The goal is to avoid situations the likes of which led to Floyd's death and just last week the death of Dante Wright, whose funeral was Thursday. Wright was shot and killed by an officer who thought she was reaching for her taser when in fact was her gun. Jim Baker... Jim Bacon, excuse me, a former athlete on the U.S. judo team who now serves as a police officer in Lafayette, Colorado, says the most damning police on suspect encounters, many now caught on police body cameras or by onlookers holding iPhones, have this in common. The cop resorts to higher levels of force than should have been used. If they have more skills, they might not have to rely on gadgets on the belt. The workshop offered a window into the different role an Olympic organization and maybe the Olympics themselves can play in society at large. The USA Judo P3 program is sponsored by USA Judo, the six-person operation in Colorado Springs, Colorado, that helped Kayla Harrison and Ronda Rousey, now of Ultimate Fighting Championship fame, bring Olympic medals back home. But that also must be constantly nourish its own grassroots system. The national governing body has been losing ground on both fronts, most recently because of the pandemic and over the years because of growing popularity of other martial arts, such as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Taekwondo, that has kept Judo in the shadows in America. With an emphasis on not hitting rather than using leverage and body position to execute holds and takedowns, Judo has long been easy to overlook, both in the days when Bruce Lee kicked and nunchucked martial arts into American conscious. And more recently, when the UFC octagons overshadowed boxing rings among a wide, big-spending cross-section of 21st century sports fans. This hits a societal issue, USA Judo CEO Keith Bryant said. And for us, it has the potential to get more people on the mat. In an exercise that, that cut to the core of judo training, conference planners Tabern Lee and Mike Verdugo played suspects who were impaired or mentally unstable and challenged the officers to use judo to de-escalate the situations. The scenarios were acted out as though they were happening in public with pedestrians shooting the action from every angle on their phone cameras. If we can talk to you, if we can keep you up, that's going to change the whole visual, especially when people have their iPhones recording, Verdugo said. This is a matter of keeping you up on your feet and not grinding you into the ground. Lee says the public would be alarmed at how little training the average police department provides to officers for street confrontations. And because so many more interactions are now caught on video, police are being scrutinized in ways previously impossible. It's not the officer's fault that they don't have the training, said Lee, an officer with the Los Angeles Police Department who also teaches judo for the Youth-Based Police Athletic League, a sponsor of the training program. Sometimes the departments haven't spent money for the training and in a lot of ways... 
The training hasn't caught up to the realities of the technology that's out there. All right, so this is just me talking at the moment. I'm just going to take a, a brief break here. Tabern and I have had conversations about this, and I've had conversations with other police officers that I've I've known for many years that a lot of people out there that are very critical of the police think that the police have just like this special militarized training, and they really don't. You know, in, in fact, you know, Tabern said that most police officers, almost all of them, especially in L.A., they've never had a physical confrontation in their life. And I remember him telling me once that a lot of guys get into the police force, at least in L.A., you know, thinking that they're just going to walk a beat for, for a couple of years and then sit behind the desk for the rest of their career while, while collecting a nice steady paycheck. Like that's that those are the type of people that you uh, that are coming into the police force. And the thing is, is that like because none of these people have ever been in a physical confrontation, it's a scary proposition for them. You know, people that are in judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or, or other high combat sports, physical conference, uh, physical confrontation is the norm. Right? That's just our that's our lives, and and we don't, you know, think anything of it. And I'm not saying that if I got into a physical confrontation on the street that I wouldn't be scared. I would be scared, but you know, I would have the wherewithal and the knowledge to know that okay, this is a situation that I could either step away from, you know, talk my way out of, you know, the, the, it, it, I think for a lot of police officers out there, when these officer involved shootings, it goes from zero to a hundred miles an hour in a blink of an eye. And it's, it's either, you know, everything's going good or it's guns drawn. And it's the, the police don't have the kind, all I'm trying to say is that the police don't have the kind of training that a lot of people, when I see these keyboard warriors on, on Twitter and, and Facebook, they think they know what they're talking about and they really don't. Hell, I don't even know what I'm talking about most of the time, but at least I've got a lot of police officers that have informed me what it's like to walk a beat or, or go into a situation where you don't have backup. Everybody says, oh yeah, just call for backup. Sure. You know, I have a friend out in Manatee County. She's retired now. Manatee County's uh, south of Tampa Bay. It's the next county over. You know, when you've got eight sheriff's deputies trying to cover an entire county, backup could be 20 minutes away. So it's not like they call for backup and then you've got some guy coming, you, you know, 30 seconds later. That That's all fine and dandy for the movies, but but that's really not how it's like in many places in this country. All right, so continuing on with the article, the officers for the initial workshop came from Fort Worth, Texas, Billings, Montana, Meridian, Idaho, and other small towns scattered around the West. Another workshop for other cities is being planned for next month. Spearheading this sort of endeavor is hardly the traditional role for leaders at an organization such as uh, USA Judo, whose most high-profile mission is to help Americans bring home Olympic medals. But as the past 13 months have shown, this could be an ideal time for nonprofits to make up the backbone of the U.S. Olympic system to reinvent themselves. And I completely agree with that. USA Judo was among the 70% national governing bodies that asked for government uh, for loans, asked the government for loans under the federal government's Paycheck Protection Program. Oops, sorry about that. During COVID-19, it cut two of its eight-person staff. It currently has one Olympic medal contender, Angelica Delgado, in a sport that fans will have to scour the listings to find among the 7,000 hours of NBC coverage this summer, which I'm going to talk about the Olympics in a little bit. Um, but I hopefully, just as an aside, I got this. I got the Peacock thing, the, the, the Peacock app by NBC. They better have judo on there because because if they don't, I'm I'm going to reach out to Dick Ebersol or something. He's going to hear a piece of my mind. That's for sure. Uh, I'm sure they'll escort me out of the building as soon as they do that. But anyway. All right. Continuing on over the course of the pandemic, most of the 400 clubs at USA Judo sanctions across the country were forced to close or severely curtail operations with no sanctioned events to offer. The NGB will hold its first national competition in 17 months this weekend in Salt Lake City. Its membership has dropped by half to about five. Wow. I didn't know that to about five thousand. By comparison, there are between 600,000 and 800,000 judoka in France hosted a 2024 Olympics and between 150,000 and 200,000 in this year's Olympic country, Japan. People have always said that as soon as we get a gold medalist, then judo will grow, Bryant said. But people thought that before we had a gold medalist who won two gold medals in Harrison, it didn't really move the needle. 
The unheralded and unglamorous art of police training might not either, but Brian sees judo as one of those rare sports, unlike, say, gymnastics or basketball, that has a spot uh, both in the competitive venue and in real-world situations. Among the program's task force members are the 2004 Olympic judoka Nikki Kubes Andrews, now a detective for Fort Worth Police Department, and Bacon, former U.S. national team member who is now an officer in Colorado. The public wants police officers to be better trained, Bacon said. That's why we're trying to integrate judo so we can be more effective in these situations without hurting the other person. USA Judo is offering free memberships to the officers who participate in the training and has hopes a police initiative could spark new interest in the sport, but Bryant readily concedes that growing the sport in America will take time, and none of that is none of this is designed to bring home gold medals from Tokyo this summer. He is also acutely aware that there are other ways to measure success during a difficult time in America. We sat down and started talking, Bryant said, and we agreed that when you look at George Floyd and all of these situations, we felt like if these officers had been trained in judo appropriately, that wouldn't have happened. Now, so that's the end of the article. I would like to say and point out and make it clear. Well, first off, I plan on having at the very least Tabron on the podcast and if possible, Maybe even Keith Bryant and Mike Verdugo as well. I'm not promising anything. It's, it, it all depends on when we could get our schedules coordinated. But I'm really hoping to have that that conversation sometime over the next two weeks. I spoke to Tabron earlier tonight and Mike as well. And I want to have them on to discuss this program in more detail. But one thing that I can say is this. This isn't about teaching police officers how to do Osoto Gari and slam somebody on the concrete. That's not what this is about. This isn't about teaching Juju Katami or or any sort of Shime Waza against you know potential assailants. That's not that's not what this is. But what I see this more of and how Tabern is expressed to me, and and again, I will definitely have them on to talk about this in more detail. This is more of an attempt to bridge the gap. You know, from that zero to 100 miles an hour situation that people don't freak out and start reaching for, like like uh, the article said, the tools on the belt. You don't want to start having to reach for tasers and guns, you know, when when maybe, you know, a conversation or or, or, or maybe being able to to not just freak out just because somebody put their hand on you. So to me, I think this is a win for USA Judo, and I think this is a step in the right direction uh, for police work in the United States. Now, I don't know how this will this program will end up, you know, a couple of years from now. If it doesn't end up working out, at least at least everybody involved can sit there and say we tried to do something different. And this is out of the box thinking. And and certainly kudos to Keith Bryant for 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 being a leader in this. Because you know what? Because this article ran in the Associated Press, it gets picked up by every major newspaper in the country. So this is a huge deal for USA Judo to get this kind of exposure. And you know what I'm really glad about is that this thing, this P3 didn't end up becoming one of these committees where everybody gets together and and shakes each other's hands and gets together for photo ops and nothing happens. Something happened here and and I think this is something that can be built off of and and everybody involved should be proud of their efforts. Well done, gentlemen. All right, so I want to get a little bit into discussing the Olympics. Now, I've been on record over pretty much over the past year stating that I didn't think these games are going to actually happen. And of course, once again, turns out I'm wrong. It looks like these games are going to actually happen. Uh, probably, I, I can't remember the day. I, it, if it's July, if it's August, I, I can't remember, but... But one thing's for sure, this thing is moving forward, and, and I didn't think that it would, despite the fact that there has been a surge in COVID cases in Japan. And the thing that's really surprising to me is that the Japanese population as a whole, from the reports that I've read on Reuters, less than 1% of the Japanese public, uh, as, as of that report, had received their first shot of the vaccine. Now, I don't know the logistics of why that may be. I know in the United States and in the UK and other places that those numbers are well over 40%, but that's surprisingly low for a country that I have always considered from the outside looking in 
a country that is very considerate toward uh, other people, uh, their neighbors, so to say. And granted, I do not know what the situation of even getting the vaccines is like for Japan. I, I got no idea. So I'm all I'm just stating is that I'm a little bit surprised the number of vaccinations is that low. Now, according to reports that I've read, it's still the number of people that are opposed to the games happening is still very high within Japan. Uh, the number that I read is over 66%. When I had Kiyoshi of judofan.com on uh, several months ago, he he told me the number is probably closer to 80% and higher than that. And and I, I, I tend to believe that number. Now, it, it's my understanding that they are not going to have uh, spectators coming in for these games. So I, I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know how that's going to look on TV. I, I've made comments in the past that I I think when you're watching live sports and there isn't an audience that it, I don't know, the the, the the competitions themselves tend to lose a little bit of, I don't know, excitement or something along those lines. I know I certainly noticed it when I watched the NFL season over this past year and certainly Major League Baseball, which I've I've kind of sworn off for the rest of my life. At least until they, um, until baseball bans a shift. Anyway, same goes for hockey, and it, it's just, it, it's just not. You know, when a, when a player scores a touchdown or a home run or 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 gets a goal, and to not hear the roar of the crowd, it 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 loses its it loses a little something to me. So I don't know how that's going to look on TV. I don't know what having an opening ceremonies in in front of nobody is going to look like. Maybe maybe we don't need uh, a live audience. Uh, maybe we just all watch it from TV and it's going to be good enough. I've got no idea. Now, according to the Reuters article, I, I was surprised that that such strong language was used. And again, I don't know what the situation in Japan is like, but it stated. Japan has exhibited poor performance in containing virus transmission along with limited testing capacity and a slow vaccination rollout, according to the commentary published by the British Medical Journal on Wednesday. Plans to hold the Olympic and Paralympic Games this summer must be reconsidered as a matter of urgency, wrote lead author Kazuki Shimizu of the London School of Economics. Now, I, to me, if you're going to postpone the Olympics again, you may as well scrap it. And while I have never been a high-level competitor, certainly nowhere near Olympic level, it's my understanding for these athletes that there's a timing factor involved, and it's involved throughout the Olympic cycle, and it all culminates so that an athlete is in peak performance for the Olympic Games, and having a delay like this is is really significant for these athletes, and not just within judo, but in all the sports across uh all of the Olympic sports. So again, to me, you know, with the pandemic here, apparently it's a fourth wave in Japan, which it surprises me. I, you know, the entire world seemingly was bashing the United States uh, for our COVID rates, and and right, maybe rightfully so, maybe not. I I don't know. I don't want to debate that. But Japan is a country that has had where people wear masks on a regular basis. I mean, it's masks are not a new thing over there for people have been wearing masks for years. If they if they're sick and they need to get out, just wear a mask. That's just what they do over there. It's my understanding anyway. So, yeah, health officials and many people around the country and outside of the world are calling for Japan to postpone the games. That's not happening. I, I can't I don't see that happening. They're full steam ahead. And and with that in mind, just recently we've had the Pan American Championships. We've we've also had the European Championships. Uh, those two tournaments are, are tournaments where where athletes are getting their last or much needed points. I know Team USA had a pretty good success at the Pan American Championships, and those are much needed points for them. And if I'm not mistaken, those championships give as much points as what you would earn at a uh, IJF World Tour Grand Prix event. So it's a pretty big deal. And same goes for the European Championships as well. Now, now speaking of you know, championships and such, I read a report that the head-to-head matchup between Krista Daguchi and Jessica Klim-Kate, oops, excuse me, Klim-Kate of Canada 
they are not going to have their head-to-head matchup for that final spot. I found this in an article on on a website called RadioCanada.ca. Uh, the article goes, A showdown between Krista Deguchi and Jessica Klimkate for a place on the Olympics will not take place due to health restrictions. So decided Judo Canada. Health rules in Canada currently do not allow the practice of Judo and this for an indefinite time, writes the Federation in a press release Thursday. This would have been last week. Thus, Judo Canada is unable to hold playoffs initially for in its regulations in a situation where two athletes find themselves in the top eight in the world. Now, just so you that you're all aware, I am this is a translated page. This was originally written in French. Continuing on, Krista Delgucci and Jessica Klimkate. Klim, Klim gosh, why do I get that wrong? Um, are respectively number one and number two in the world in the under 57 kilo division category. Remember that the International Judo Federation allows only one athlete per country per category in Tokyo. The Canadian Federation therefore turned to an alternative solution in order to decide who would participate in the games. On June 8th in Budapest, Hungary, at the World Championships, Deguchi and Klimkate will fight not only for the title, but also uh, and above all for the only place available for Canada in Tokyo. The best in the standings will win their Olympic Games pass. Uncertainty persists, but time is running out quickly for the Olympics. It was therefore necessary to determine now a concrete and definitive way of separating Krista Taguchi and Jessica Klimkate, explained Nicholas Gill, General Manager and High Performance Director of Judo Canada. In agreement with the Canadian Olympic Committee, Judo Canada has therefore modified its rules in an exceptional way to arrive in an exceptional way to arrive at this solution. Now, there's a lot of the article I'm going to skip, but I'm going to get to a part that I do find a little bit interesting. In the event of a tie, if the world championship should be canceled or in the event of a tied result, you know, bronze, bronze, fifth, fifth, seventh, seventh place, or if both finish outside of the top eight, Nicholas Gill will choose with the approval of the board of directors, which of the two will be nominated to the COC for selection to the Olympic team. As Nicholas Gill went to pick up Krista Deguchi in Japan in 2016 to give Canada more chances to win a medal in Tokyo, will he be tempted to offer her the ticket rather than Jessica Klimkate? Jessica has gone through all the stages of our structure. She is a product of what I put in place as a high-performance director, he recalls. Both athletes have a very personal touch to my work. In a totally different way, I think the decision will be completely objective. Judo Canada will make its decision based on the following three criteria of equal value. Performance of the two athletes at the 2018 and 2019 Senior World Championships. World ranking following the 2021 World Championships. Previous bouts between the two athletes during the Olympic qualification period. These scales will make the decision on the whole objective, but the real judgment of all of this will take place on July 26th, as he points out. If we do not win a medal for Canada in the under 57th kilo division, it will be it is because we will not have made the right decisions. So I don't know what to think about this, uh, c- canceling this head-to-head. Japan managed to make it work uh, for Hifume Abe and uh, Yoshiro Maruyama. And I really don't want to be critical of Judo Canada here because I just don't know what the situation of COVID is like up in Canada. But I just feel that they could have found a way to get this done. Now, now, granted, maybe this is a traveling issue because last time I checked, Canada's a pretty big place. Perhaps Jessica Klimkate. Gosh, why do I have such trouble saying that? Goodness, I apologize. Uh, perhaps Klimkate and Deguchi live very far away from each other. I don't know where they train. I, I don't know if they all train together at the same facility. I don't know if one is in the east and one is over in the west. I just, I just don't know. And then maybe the issue of flying and, and the limitations of travel there. I, I don't know what the situation in Canada is. I Just in my mind, though, it would have been good to have a head-to-head. It would have been good if they did a had a head-to-head and recorded that for the world to see, just like Japan did. And I've gone on record saying before that I, I think judo needs more head-to-head type of matchups. Well, I mean, I know every match is a head-to-head matchup. But you know what I mean. In terms of head-to-head matchups for for things that matter. But look, listen, I'm going to be real here. There's no way Krista Degucci does not make the team. So in my opinion, the cards were really stacked against Klim Kate because Degucci's the world champion. 
I mean, it was a tougher debate between Hifume Abe and Yoshiro Maruyama because both of those uh, gentlemen were world champions. And while I think Klim Kate should have the opportunity to compete for that spot, if it really comes down to a decision, I don't see how Judo Canada picks anybody else but but Krista Deguchi. I, I don't see it. So it's really unfortunate for Klim Kate. And now we'll never know. You know, maybe she gets injured in, in the second round of the world championships and she loses her opportunity there. I just would have rather seen a, a, a head-to-head here. And and in my opinion, the head-to-head matchup and, and, and the concerns about COVID should have been left up to the athletes. Because I'm of the opinion that if you want to take a risk, you want to travel, you want to do this and that, you, you should have the right to do so. And I think I think if given the opportunity, both of those athletes would have opted to have the head-to-head. Now, continuing on with the discussion on tournaments and competitions and such, I wanted to cover briefly some of the events that are coming up on the IGF World Tour. Uh, the next one coming up is on... It, on May 5th through 7th, the Kazan Grand Slam, which is being held in Kazan, uh, Russia. This one appears to be a pretty big competition with, a, so far, 432 athletes representing 91 nations. It does not appear that Japan is going to show up to this one. I also don't see too many people from France showing up. Unless I missed it, I don't see Teddy Renner, for example, uh, showing up in the plus 100 kilo division. But I'm really looking forward to this one. Of course, the time zone is going to be an issue for me. But what else is new? It's always an issue with these IJF World Tour events. Now, following the Kazan Grand Slam is the World Championships. And that's going to be held uh, from June 6th through 13th. And that's going to be in Budapest. Now, if I don't get around to covering the Kazan Grand Slam in great detail, that will definitely not happen with the World Championships. Obviously, that's a huge event and certainly an unusual situation to have the World Championships and the Olympic Games happening in the same year. And speaking of the Olympics, that is happening July 24th through 31st. Now, I don't know about people from the rest of the world, but if you're in the United States and you want to catch judo, you are going to probably need to to download and install and... Uh, subscribe to the Peacock app, which is an NBC-owned application. I already have it because when I moved up to my new home, uh, Xfinity is the cable provider, and and I I got Peacock for free, which is kind of cool. Well, it's not free. I just I probably just pay a lot more for cable than I did down in Tampa Bay. But I have Peacock now. It allows me to watch all sorts of things, including the WWE, which I'm very happy about. I managed to see WrestleMania. Uh, last week, which was in Tampa. Go figure. I, I went to the one in Orlando, and, and you know, no sooner do I leave Tampa, they have a live event in Tampa. I wouldn't have gone anyway because I've already had my single, my one WrestleMania experience, but um, it was still cool to see my old hometown um, put on a really, really good show. All right, so that's going to uh, almost do it for the for another hideous episode of this podcast. Uh, but before before I sign off, I am going to have an after party. But before I have an after party, I wanted to bring up something that's important, at least important to me. Judoinside.com. If you haven't been to Judoinside.com lately, the hell's the matter with you? They have completely, or they, Hans has completely revamped his site and it looks fantastic. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but... but Every time that I went to the judoinside.com website for the past year or two or so, the, the I don't know what it was. It was slow for me. It was it was kind of slow. It, it, I mean, the, the content was great, but the actual download speed, it, it just was very clunky for me. And I don't know if that was a me thing or if everybody else experienced the same thing, but... But this this site now, it's it looks really sharp and it's fantastic and... It's just great. I don't know what else to say. You got to check it out. Judoinside.com. It still has all the athlete search and and, and the athlete information and and the news and stuff. Uh, The the headline, the the main news is is covering the European championships. I'm sure Hans was there in person. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because maybe the the whole COVID restriction over there. I I don't know what's going on over in, in the European nations. 
So I just wanted to bring that up to all of you. Congratulations to you, Hans. The, the site looks fantastic. And if you guys don't really read judoinside.com, I, I really encourage that you all that you do. It, it's a really great site. It's really good to support Hans and, and his efforts. He's been doing this, gosh, so long. And I still need to get him on the podcast. It's It's been way too long. I, 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 there's so many people that I've wanted to bring on the podcast and and, and things happen, and then other people come up, and this and that. So I, I I will one day get Hans on, and we'll have a great conversation about his career in judo and his career with judoinside.com. So, yeah, please check it out. Please support him. It He really does really, really great work. So, yeah, so that's going to do it for me in this episode. A shorter one than normal, but you know what? I think that's a good thing. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. The after party starts in 15 minutes. It's time for the after party. I'm very happy to be back to doing this. It's been a few episodes, I think. I know I didn't do it for the my last episode, uh, which was an interview. I don't like doing the after parties with interviews because my interviews always tend to run long. So I'm really happy to be back doing this. I'm going to run through a couple of things, a couple of shows that I've watched recently. Uh, but but I have a big topic that I want to discuss, but I'm going to get through the shows first, starting with a show on Apple TV called For All Mankind. I highly recommend this show. Season one was fantastic and season two just finished up. Uh, at least I just wrapped up season two uh, just the other night. It got a little hokey with the science and everything. Now, for for those who may not know, For All My- Mankind is about NASA and and the space race in in the 60s going all through the 80s and stuff but that's pretty much where the similarities to real life uh end because it it gets really wild um it, it, as as the episodes and the seasons go on but it it's it's mostly most of the time it's really excellent tv the the, the acting is fantastic the stories are great it's just some of the science fiction is a bit over the top in my opinion but it's a show that I highly recommend. I also finished watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which so I want to say this. I love seeing Sam as as uh, Captain America. I, I think that's an awesome thing. It's in line with the comics anyway, which I don't care too much. I know the Marvel Cinematic Universe is its own is its own thing and they've got their own world. But it works. It works for me. And there's going to be a Captain America for uh, you know, f- featuring um, featuring Sam, and I-, I just think that's a good thing. I don't know if Steve Rogers is on the moon. I've got no idea. Oh, that was a spoiler. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Scratch that. If you haven't watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but I will say this: I loved Wandavision, and I thought Falcon and the Winter Soldier was was good. I I just thought it was seemed so haphazard. I I don't know how I don't know how to describe it. I guess I felt that a, you know, a lot of shows that I watch on Netflix and stuff, they, they typically go 10 episodes. And a lot of times I feel like they could have done the show in eight episodes where where Falcon and the Winter Soldier was only six episodes. And I kind of felt that they really needed eight episodes. But nonetheless, I thought it was a really good show. I, I highly recommend watching it. Something else I watched on Netflix, though, um really crazy it's called a documentary called murder among the mormons this was the craziest story that i have ever heard um almost one of the craziest for sure because i thought this was going to be all right look i'm going to spoil it here i thought the story was just going to be about um you know some guy you know bombed a couple of people out of revenge for for you know mormon documents being bought and sold and things like this but this ended up being a story about what i have to think is one of the biggest forgers 
in world history. I really was stunned at the depths that this person who perpetrated these crimes would go, uh, how far he would go to continue this con. And I know next to nothing about Mormonism. I, I There's a lot of things that I learned in that documentary about Mormons, but it, it's just... It was just really interesting to get a glimpse into that world. It, it's a world that I just never, I, I don't know anything about. But the story just, just left my jaw dropped. I, I, I couldn't believe, you know, all the things that happened with that story. And that's, that's I think that that was only three or four episodes. So that's a short documentary. Uh, but it, it, it does a really good job with it. All right. So now I want to talk about the thing that I really wanted to cover on the after party. So a couple of days ago, maybe about a week or so, maybe two weeks, I was watching just some YouTube videos, cat videos on YouTube. I, I always love watching cat videos on YouTube. They, they bring a smile to my face whenever I'm having a bad day, just seeing the kitties, you know, just, just scaring each other and they jump and break things and knock, knock cups off to the counter. I, I, I get a kick out of that stuff. So I'm sitting there watching cat videos and I see this one of these video recommendations on um some some Star Trek type stuff. So I, I I click on the videos. It's it's like the best of Spock and McCoy. Like we're talking about the '60s Star Trek, which which I'm still making my way through on Netflix. So just seeing some of the dialogue and the banter, I I, I really love that that kind of stuff. And so then I see more things on space, and I'm clicking around and clicking around. And listen, I'm sure all of you have have done this before where you end up down this rabbit hole of videos that you just didn't know existed, well, let me tell you, that happened to me. I'm talking about aliens. I'm talking about UFOs. I'm talking about things that I didn't know people believed. I didn't know that these some of these things were a thing. Now, I'm on record as saying that I do believe there is some sort of other life forms that are not animal, that are either extraterrestrial or interdimensional I don't know what you want to call it I know that there has been a slow drip and I think it's a deliberate slow drip by the media and the government on UFOs and and they actually call them UAPs and there's a lot of interesting stuff I don't know what to think about it I don't believe we are alone as a human race. I believe there are other intelligent races that communicate. And for lack of a better term, I I do believe there are aliens of some kind. I do think that they are here, but that has always just been a longtime belief of mine. I've always been a, a casual UFO enthusiast, but very casual. But my God, the rabbit hole that I went down, I didn't know that there are people that classify some of these aliens. They call them short grays and tall grays and tall whites. Like apparently there's people that believe that there's aliens that are like seven and eight feet tall and they look like Scandinavian and they're they're like pasty white, like not, not like not like white, like how we know white people, but like literally like white, like a white, like a sheet of paper. And then here's the thing. There are people that believe in these reptilian aliens and stuff. And like some people believe that these reptilian aliens are actually within our governments. And I was I was looking at things like video. People think that there's underground bases within New Mexico and and Utah and Nevada where there are aliens being stored there and they're conducting experiments and stuff. I'm telling you, I went down this rabbit hole that I had no idea uh, people thought about this kind of stuff. It was the craziest stuff that I've ever seen, especially stuff about reptilian overlords and and hollow earth theories and just just the weirdest stuff. It's just amazing to me how I, I how far I can get into YouTube, just starting with cat videos. And listen, full disclosure here, I, I'm sure you could probably tell already. I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. Whether it's real or fake, it's probably all fake, but I just look it up. I, I just read it as fiction, and I just get a kick out of it. The, the, some of this stuff is just really out there, and I'm just I'm just going just gonna to chalk it up to fiction. But the weird thing is that a lot of these people, when they talk about you know how older societies like the Aztecs used to live and, 
and they would they would sacrifice um, each other for their gods and things like that. And and people are making the case that these gods are actual like extraterrestrial aliens that had a, a a control on them, and these are the same type of aliens controlling the White House. It's just really crazy stuff. And the thing is, you know, I saw this video of Obama being interviewed by Jimmy Kimmel, and then another video of Obama being uh, President Obama, excuse me. Being interviewed by George Stephanopoulos, and and both of them asked him about aliens. Obama didn't say no. He didn't say no about UFOs. And you know, it's to me, it's like a perfect opportunity to to just dismiss it and and just put it out there and lie to the public because all politicians lie anyway, right? So why not just continue to lie if they if if they don't exist or if they do exist? Why not just continue lying? Uh, but. It's just really surprising that somebody like President Obama would not deny it. He he didn't say that they were there, but he just he wouldn't flat out deny it. And to me, if you're if you're not denying, there's some kind of truth there. So yeah, I admit it. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. If you like that stuff, feel free to reach out to me because because you know we can we can talk about and disseminate all of the different wacky theories that are out there. I. I look. I I don't believe in in most of that stuff. I I I don't know. I really don't know what to think of it. All I know is that I do I do believe there are other intelligent life forms, uh, in our universe and and quite possibly within our solar system and quite possibly within this very planet. Just just being held underground in 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 some places and stuff. Because some of these videos, you know. The 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 A tip uh, program that was by the Pentagon. The Pentagon doesn't deny it. These videos that have been surfacing recently, and you know, here's the thing about these these UAP videos. Even if you, if you want to believe that they're just secret government uh, flying spacecraft, or or if they belong to other countries, the fact remains that these things are not identified by our government. And they pose a national security risk. That's really the ultimate concern here, I think, for everybody involved, is that you have these things that are flying over commercial jets. They're flying over, you know, they're they're being witnessed by other people. They're not drones. I mean, it, and quite frankly, it's insulting to the U.S. Navy to, to to just call these things that they're seeing drones because they have equipment to to be able to identify drones. They have equipment to be able to identify what is an airplane versus what is a drone versus what is a flying bird. They whatever's getting picked up, they don't recognize it. So aliens are not. There's something unidentified out there, and that should be a concern for really everybody. If if things that we don't know what they are are showing up in our airspace, that's that's a, that's problematic in my opinion. Anyway, that's it for me.